Amen. God bless you guys. Good morning. Hey, you look good. Um, we're seeing some faces back. Thank you, Dwight. Uh, seeing some of you guys coming back. Know there's a lot of like end of summer trips and busyness happening. Kids are finally back in school and all the parents said amen to that. That's exciting. <laughs> hey, we are uh, coming to the uh, near end of this, uh, this series that we're in called Just the Red, and we're hanging out in the words of Jesus. And I'm wanting you to imagine what it would be like for us if we were to be in a time and a space when there was nothing else for us, nothing else but the teachings of a man who said things that sounded so different, so contrasted, so unlike anything they had ever heard said about God, but also said about how we are to relate to each other in our journey as followers of God in our life. And this person himself claimed to be not just a teacher, not just a rabbi, not just a prophet, not just a healer. He was all of those things, but he claimed to be the very son of God, God in flesh. We would then be obligated to Hear it and ignore it, hear it and process it, investigate it, chase after it, and then decide whether we were going to disregard it as falsehood, as, as, as counterfeit, as, as, uh, as, as insanity, or whether we would believe it, whether we would accept it. And if so, then we are obligated to the truth that we have accepted. Because you can't hear Jesus say what Jesus says and then not be moved to a reaction and a response because he demands it. He says, if you want to be a follower of me, then you must do this. Jesus, in his words, did one of two things. One of two things only. He either elevated our understanding of God and therefore helped improve our relationship with him, or he elevated our understanding of who we are to each other and thus elevated our accountability to be better to each other. Or in fact, he did both of those at the same time. So listen, if we follow the path of Jesus and the path of Jesus is laid out by his words, like there was a time, and I, I don't even sort of remember this. I guess I do, but it's so far in the past, and I've sort of just uh, chosen not to remember how difficult that could be, where you didn't have GPS. You had to do one of two things. Use a map or rely on the instructions of somebody else. That was risky, right? First of all, if somebody goes, first of all, go south for 15, I go, whoa, 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 easy Lewis and Clark. I don't know south, like which, what is south, north, all of these words you're using? Just tell me, which way do I go towards the mall or away from the mall? Like that's, that's kind of my uh, reference point. But I remember when um, driving to California for my internship, we had to order these things called triptychs from AAA. And it was page by page instructions on how to get to the, and it, they would map it out and it would be highlighted on there for you and you would know that way. Jesus gave us words to map out how to get to right relationship with 
him as our creator. And in that right relationship, we discover the highest and best life he created for us. And here's what he told us to do. He told us to love people like he loved them and serve people like he served them and restore people and heal people like, we, like he restored and healed to forgive and extend grace like he forgave and extended grace. Caring for people like he cared for people, extending compassion to people like he literally, Jesus said, do this like I do it. And that's how you become like me. He says this in John 13, 34 through 35. You can read this with me. So I'm now going to give you a new commandment. Remember, they had lived their lives. He's speaking primarily to Jews. And he says, all the laws that you know and all the commandments that you know, this was almost heresy. As a matter of fact, to the religious leaders, it would be heresy because only God can give a commandment. And Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will, what does it say, prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says, I'm commanding you to do something that you should be able to do on your own. But I'm going to set the standard as this. Don't love each other like you love each other. Love each other like I love you. And he says this, that it will literally be the proof of whether or not you're actually my disciples or not, whether or not you're truly, authentically, genuinely a follower of Christ. So I want to pause real quick before we begin any other discussion and ask you this, if based on your love alone, could people determine whether or not you are a follower of Christ? On the love that you extend and the love that you share and the love that you demonstrate to people, could people identify you solely by that as a follower of Christ? And if we were like the early church who had no other form to know how to follow Jesus other than what he said, we had no other scripture for 100 years about. There wasn't the epistles of Paul. There wasn't the acts of the apostles. There wasn't the apocalyptic writings. There was none of that to know how to be a devoted follower of Christ. So all we had were the spoken words of Jesus that had been heard, remembered, memorized, and then retaught over and over and over again. So surely there were some things that Jesus said, let's put it this way, all, everything that Jesus said was important. Can we agree on that? Everything that the Son of God says is important. If Jesus says you should use strawberry jam and not grape jam on your toast, then you just go, I don't know, Jesus said strawberry jam and I want to be an obedient follower of Christ. It's going to be important, but I will tell you this, and this may seem a little heretical to you, Jesus said some things that were more important than others. Here's how we know this, because he said it, because, that's a very Midwest, you take off the B-E and you put an apostrophe there, because he said it himself. He said it this way in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus replied when asked this, what are the most important commandments? Jesus said, you must, the most important, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and this is the first and greatest commandment. And they go, okay, great, we've got the first and But then Jesus continues, and a second, equally important. So Jesus says, this is the first and greatest, and the second is also the greatest. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus says, every single thing you do will sub everything that you think it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, prayer, reading the Bible, tithing, going to church, uh, uh, um, serving, uh, 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 whatever it is that you think makes you a follower of Christ, all of those subordinate to those other two things. They must be an extension of those and an expression of those. Do you get that? That you have to make sure that everything you're doing lines up with loving God entirely and loving people as Jesus commanded us to love them. Nothing else you do is as important as those two things. Nothing else you do as a follower of Christ is as important as those two things. Love God, love people. So, in this series, we are not going to be able to get to all the things that Jesus tells us to do to each other, for each other, and about each other, but I think I'm going to touch on four quick highlights that are going to help you understand the theme of what Jesus wants us to do in response to each other. So grab your notes if you don't have them out. Open up your app. Welcome to the online uh, church campus. Uh, we love these guys. Uh, many people who discover us in person first discover us in our online campus. And uh, Pastor Jamie and Pastor Jared are doing a fantastic job with our online campus, our social media presence. Give them a big hand. They're awesome. We love. By the way, next week, Pastor Dan starts. As a matter of fact, he's going to finish this series for us. He's going to be doing the, uh, um, the marriage retreat. Uh, they're doing two of the three sessions, and uh, you can skip the one I'm doing. You've heard me plenty. All right. Uh, being Christ follower requires that. Being a Christ follower requires that, number one, give the worst people. It requires that I give the worst people the best of me. Being a Christ follower requires that I give the worst people the best of me. So this is kind of the um, worst one and the best one at the same time. Um, it's going to be the worst one because it's always going to be the very hardest thing to do. Jesus recognizes how horrible people can be to us. Jesus recognizes how terribly people can treat you. But here's... That's the worst part is you recognize that you're never probably going to get, there's not going to be a point in which you don't get abused and mistreated and lied about and people taking things from you and people using you and people manipulating you. That's going to continue to happen because that's the nature of who we are as broken people. And I'd love to say that it won't happen in the church, but it will because broken people come to hopefully find wholeness in church community. So you're going to find a lot of a concentration of brokenness. So can we as believers stop holding each other up to a standard we don't allow anyone to hold us to? That we're supposed to be perfect because we're followers of Christ? I know we feel that pressure from the world that we're hypocrites if we keep sinning after we're followers of Christ. But we are in our journey as followers of Christ to become more like him. And you are going to encounter broken people here. Now, here's the, um, here's the wonderful part of the commandment that we are to give the best of ourselves to the worst of people is that you now know your response. And if you can apply that mentality to everything, how you respond and act to attacks, to mistreatment, it becomes so much easier because it's done for you. Let me tell you what I mean. I'm going to read this out of Luke chapter 6. If you're listening, Jesus said, um, hear me. I'm about to tell the truth. Uh, everyone tune in. Here's my message. Keep loving your enemies no matter what they do. 
You've got these scriptures in your notes. I want you to maybe circle things like keep loving no matter what they do. Keep doing good to those who hate you. Circle that. Keep speaking blessings on those who curse you. Keep praying for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, offer the other cheek too. If someone steals your coat, offer them your shirt too. Jesus is giving examples of truly offensive things that could happen to them. If someone begs from you, then just give to them. If someone robs you of your valuables, don't demand them back. Think of the kindness you wish others would show to you and then you just do the same thing for them. Now, I want you to pause. Think of the kindness that you wish the people that hated you would show to you. And then you're going to, not whether or not they show it to you, but you would want them to show to you and you give that back to them. If you want to be extraordinary, then love your enemies. Do good without restraint. Lend with abandon. Don't expect anything in return. Then you'll receive the truly great reward. You will be children of the most high God. Did you see that Jesus connects how we treat each other with our relationship with God? You will be the children of the most high God for God is kind to the ungrateful and those who are wicked. So imitate God and be truly compassionate the way your father is. That is so unbelievably hard to hear. It's so frustrating. Jesus lays out the worst of people and he says, you've got to give the best of yourself to the way people treat you when they're at their absolute worst. Now, I, guys, listen, there are those who are sitting there saying, well, my husband's abusive. Do I stay in this abusive marriage? Let's not conflate staying in unsafe situations with um, um, we, we, have to, we have to be uh, sort of alert that there are extreme circumstances in which you're in danger and somebody's pummeling you on the street and you don't defend your, right? We're, let's let's kind of stay with what happens to us normally in life. You say, but he talks about getting struck in the face. That was a, an act of insult. It was that, uh, remember in, in, in movies where they'd have their leather gloves out and they would Slap a, I say I've never been so insulted in my whole life, right? Those kind of like, it meant something. Now we must duel. I, I, I don't know that Jesus was really saying, and if somebody's beating you up physically, lay there, curl up in a ball and just let them beat you. But so if we can step outside of the extreme examples and just ask ourselves, when we see someone attacking even Christianity, or here's what's even worse is when we have to stand up for our political party, whichever one you happen to identify with, and, and, and you as a Christ follower feel like it's your role to hop on social media or in an argument at work, stand up for a political party. Can I tell you there's nothing in a political party worth standing up for? They're all corrupt human systems. Jesus says, I've come here to, last week I said, uh, told you that Jesus came to establish his kingdom here on earth to give us a better way to do things differently. And as long as Christians keep identifying themselves with broken human systems, that's how people will identify us as followers of Christ. We have to get super, super quiet. We have to, <laughs> as Christ followers, remember that the world 
in their brokenness, in their hurt, and in their pain, and even the church in their hurt and brokenness and pain will do terrible things to us. But here's the freedom that comes from Jesus' words that you just heard. Jesus said, listen, I've got great news for you. You don't even need to think about how to respond. Whatever they do, do it in the opposite spirit. They take from you, give to them. They wound you, bless them. They curse you, pray for them. They say terrible things about you, help establish their reputation. They wound you, help bring healing to them. If they, if they steal from you, go, oh, if you want that, you're going to love this. Just keep blessing them. And you go, what, why? I'm telling you, it won't work with them. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about Jesus going, ah, oh, I'm so proud of you. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Tell me a time in Jesus's story where he fights back against his abusers, against his accusers. Even as he stands ready to be executed, Jesus doesn't make a defense. Jesus himself told us that we will be hated because we're followers of Christ. Let people hate you because of how loving you are, because of how compassionate you are, because of how serving you are, because of how generous you are. Don't let them hate you because you're just an obnoxious, terrible representation of who Jesus is supposed to be. Don't let them hate you because you're nothing compared to who Jesus was. Let them hate you because you are exactly who Jesus is. Secondly is this. In order to be a Christ follower, I'm required to give people the grace that I want God to give me. We've talked about this so many different times. So everything I just said about choosing the loving response for the worst people, I'm going to let you know that in a very practical sense, that's going to be almost impossible for me and you um, to do that thing by ourselves. And that's because of one thing that exists in our life. And it's this really bizarre thing that we've got. Weird that it exists in us, and it's a self-appointed, um, uh, self-righteous judgment that we have. We carry judgment around with us. And it's, in our minds, a sense of justice. So we believe that we're qualified to judge because we believe in justice. So someone does a really, really bad thing, we feel justified in wanting them to face the consequences for that really, really bad thing. And that seems reasonable, right? Someone does a really, really good thing. We read stories on the internet of someone who they were a minimum wage worker and they saw someone need in need and they gave their, their last paycheck amount to this person. And we go, oh my gosh, somebody start a GoFundMe account for them and let's get them $100,000 so they can retire, right? We want to see them rewarded. But we don't stop at the extremes. We measure everybody around us. And when somebody, our spouse, our kids, our family members, somebody on social media, somebody in our lives says or does something, there's an instant response of some level of judgment, whether they should be punished for that or rewarded for that. Our punishment may be not to talk to them. Our punishment may be to argue with them. Our consequence may be to withhold from them. Our rewards, we divvy them out to let them know that was good behavior. We can't help ourselves. We are judges in our lives. And that's tough. We're judges until it comes to us. And then we are the most merciful, sweetest grandparent that just, oh my goodness, you can't do. We are, you know, how when you... As a parent, 
bring your kids to your grandparents and your kids can do no wrong in their sight, you tell your kids, this was not the person I grew up with. They were wrathful and mean and punished me and yelled at me. And I know you think they're awesome because they give you cookies for dinner and let you have whatever you want. You can stay up with that person. I don't know who they are because they didn't raise me, right? That's how we treat ourselves. We want mercy. We want people to understand. We want forgiveness. We want perspective from them. I've got good news for you. Jesus actually allows you to walk in the most unlimited multiplied grace that you could, you can have as much grace and mercy as you want. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus allows you to be the decider of how much mercy and grace you get. How cool is that? That's so cool. It is. Luke 6, 37 and 38 says this. Don't judge others. And then God won't judge you. Don't condemn others, and you will not be condemned by God. Forgive others, and you'll be forgiven as a result. Give to others, and you'll receive. These are all from God, by the way. You will be given much. It will be poured into your hands more than you can hold. You'll be given so much that it'll be spilling into your lap. The way you give to others is the way that God will give to you. Now, we use that last verse as a principle that applies to almost everything. Given it'll be, uh, it'll be poured into your, uh, there's one more passage, is there? No? Uh, okay, that's fine. Um, and another translation says, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Like you just keep packing it in, God keeps pouring it out where you can't even contain it. Now, we believe that for giving financially. We believe that for giving to others. But in this case, it's literally talking about judgment or mercy. It's talking about compassion and grace and forgiveness or condemnation and judgment and criticism. Whatever you want in your life, just give that out. Now, here's the very cool thing. Not only are you going to get back the measure that you gave. So if I had, I wish I had my wallet on me. Even if I did, it wouldn't have any money in it. But if I had a hundred ones and I just walked out to a hundred people and gave you a one, that's the measure that I'm giving to you. So if I got back the hundred ones, I really wouldn't be gaining that much. I wouldn't be gaining anything actually, right? I might even lose some. Some might not give it back. But he says that if we give, it'll be given back to us multiplied. You would be handing back to me $3, $5, $7, $15. So I would get back not just what I invested, but multiple times over. And he says, give out judgment, give out condemnation, give out criticism. Go ahead. Totally up to you. Just know that you're going to receive back. I'm going to multiply that judgment. My judgment on your life multiplied many times over. I don't know what person in their right mind would want to do that. What follower of Christ that knows the power of God to bless or curse our lives would want to do that, would want to invite the anger of God or the consequence of God or the punishment of God? Who would want to invite the judgment of God? So he says, great news is you don't have to do that at all. I want you to give out mercy and forgiveness and compassion and grace and you're going to get that back from me multiple times over. That is 
such incredible news. It's so incredible, as a matter of fact, that Jesus says this. If you withhold forgiveness, then God will actually withhold it from you. It's so important that we spend grace and spend mercy and spend forgiveness that he says you won't get a dollar more of forgiveness, grace, mercy if you don't spend it. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6, 15. He says this, but if you do not forgive the sins of other people, your father will not forgive your sins. But brother, we're saved not because of anything we do. We're saved because of the grace of Christ. You're absolutely 100% right. And if you don't understand grace, you won't give grace. But when you understand and receive grace, you will give it like it's never going to run out. If I told you, come to me every week and I'm going to give you 10 grand. And if you overspend the 10 grand, come back for more. I've got 10 grand more. And I want you to just go spend it. Because when you go spend it, you're just going to get more in your life. I'm going to keep pouring back more and more wealth into your life. You would be given out money to anyone you possibly could. You'd be giving it out everywhere, just generous, 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 because you yourself would be blessed with it. If I gave you 10 grand and then you stuck it in your pocket and didn't give it away, I'd say, you're not getting any more of that. I can't trust you. You don't get it. You don't understand the value of what I've given you. It's so important to God that we are only givers of grace, mercy, and forgiveness, that he says he won't forgive us if we don't forgive others. Jesus was hardcore. Being a Christ follower requires that I, number three, give people what they need, not what I need. We're going to move through this one a little quicker. Here's what John 21, 15 through 17 says. When they finished eating, I want you to lock that into your mind. Other translations say when they finished eating breakfast. So it was early in the morning. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, who we know is Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, the other disciples? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <sighs> yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Is it loud in here? You're not hearing me. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, as if Jesus wasn't believing him. Do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You now know that I love you. How can you not know that? And Jesus said, to him, feed my sheep. Kind of a confusing conversation, I would imagine, for Peter. Definitely frustrating, definitely hurting. Um, Peter's feeling insulted, set up by Jesus. Why does he keep doing this? All the other disciples are witnessing this and probably just as confused and not wanting Jesus to ask them the question because he clearly on some level doesn't seem to believe Peter, but I don't think that was it at all. Jesus was making a point and he needed them to hear that point made over and over and over again. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then take care of my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Yes. How many times do you have to ask me? Yes, I love you. What do I need to do to prove it? 
ah, I'm glad you said something. Feed my sheep. That's how you show me that you love me. That's how I know with certainty. That's how, don't just say it to me. Do something that shows me. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, here's the cool thing. The reason that it was so important for you to remember that it says they had just finished eating breakfast is this. When we are full, we tend not to care about those who are hungry because we ourselves are full. We can empathize with hunger when we are hungry. They tell you never go shopping when you're hungry. Man, is that true. I am the best shopper. My kids loved going to the grocery store with me. Lisa would say, hey, I'm making uh, sloppy joes tonight. Can you run and get another can of tomato sauce? And I'd be like, on it. Boys, you want to come with me? Yeah, they knew to come with me to the grocery store because pre-dinner shopping meant four gallons of ice cream, boxes of the best cereals. And when I say best, I'm talking about Cap'n Crunch. I'm talking about Fruity Pebbles. I'm talking about all the junk mom says no to that never picks up when she's shopping. We come back and I go, oh crap, tomato sauce. I'll be right back. And I go back, right? When you're hungry, you know hunger in other people. You get it. You identify. When you're full, we tend to lay back and feel contented. And we don't think anyone else has needs because we're not feeling that need. I think it'd be great for maybe some of the wealthiest CEOs to work a day, a week, a month in the role of their lowest paid employee, have to pay their bills, have to. I think it's good. I don't think all millionaires and billionaires are evil people. I think they're likely very, very out of touch. What's a banana cost? $45? I don't know. Sure. I don't think they probably realize the suffering of others because they have not suffered for a very, very long time themselves. And Jesus says this, I need you to think, even while you're full, that there are people who have not been filled yet. And it's your job, if you want to demonstrate love, it's your job then to feed those who are hungry. Matthew 25, 44 through 45, Jesus gives this elaborate story about caring for other people and then links it to God's judgment or God's favor on us. This one passage, he just says, then those people will answer, Lord, when did, you see you, uh, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or alone or away from home? Lonely, other translations say, without clothes or sick or in prison. When did we see those things and then not help you? Speaking specifically to him. And then the king will answer, I tell you the truth. Anything you refuse to do for even the least of my people here, you refuse to do for me. Jesus measures our relationship with him on how we treat other people. Fourth and finally is this. Being a Christ follower requires that I give people the hope that I say I believe in. Give people the hope that I say I believe in. So one of my favorite parables it was impactful for me as a young youth pastor who wanted to evaluate what it is that I'm supposed to do in my role in reaching students. And he tells this story of this uh, wealthy landowner. Uh, you often hear the words master in, in a lot of translation, the, the, the master of the land, the master of servants. And he invites all these people to a great celebration, a great banquet, a big dinner party. 
And he invites all the people that you would presume would be at one of these very fancy, nice, big dinner parties. The wealthy, the influential, the politicians, all of those who, who, who they themselves have wealth and influence and power and status. And he tells the servant, go out and tell them it's time to come in. Dinner is ready. So the servant does as he's told and he goes and he tells everyone, now is the time. The feast is prepared. Come and join the master. And he gives all these illustrations of people who say, oh, I can't. I bought some land that I got to go look at. You know how often we buy things that we've never even seen. Another says, I have to bury my father. And there's a list of things that feel important. Servant goes back and tells the master, I'm sorry, none of them are coming. The master, angry at the favored and the elect, those who had been invited, that they refused the invitation, that they discarded the servant, that they didn't see him as a representative of the master calling. He says, now I want you to go back into the streets and listen to what he says in Luke 14. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel. I chose this translation specifically because I love that word and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Compel is this moving, strong word of urgency, this, this persuasion, this, 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 this um, uh, begging people. But other translations will say, go to the sick and the blind and the hurting and the discarded and the marginalized. Go to the ones that would never likely set foot in a party like this. Compel them, tell them there is a banquet that's been prepared for them so that my house may be full. Now listen, that parable, that story is about God sending his son Jesus first to the Jews who rejected him, and then to the Gentiles who the Jews believed were dirty and filthy and far from God, pagans and idol worshipers and, and, and lawless people, immoral, filthy people. Jesus tells this story to Jews so that they understand that God has prepared a banquet and if you who are chosen and elect, because we know that the Jews are God's chosen people, if you are chosen and elect will refuse the messenger, the son of God, then he will go to all of those who you think shouldn't be at this party and they will be welcomed in. Compel them. I love when I see you bring friends and neighbors and people and invite them because of your love for our community and your love for God and you wanna see them experience this as well. But I would really, really believe and hope that we as a community will go beyond our circle and those who are most hurting, those who we might be embarrassed by, those who might not be the type of person who should set foot in a church according to, you know, kind of the judgmental reputation that we may have earned. Those are the very kind of people that Jesus says compel them to come in. He himself said, I didn't come to heal those who are healthy. They don't need a doctor, right? You guys are already righteous. You're so righteous. You don't need me. Why would I hang out with you? You want me to hang out with you? 
I've come to hang out with them, this, these filthy sinners, these scum that you call them. That's who I'm here for. Can I tell you that I love seeing you with a circle of unbelieving friends? I grew up in a kind of a church culture that told us to alienate and isolate ourselves from unbelievers because of the influence they might have over us. That's good wisdom until you realize that we can't have influence over them. If you inoculate yourself from an unbelieving world, who goes then and tells them? Who compels them that there is a God who's prepared a banquet for them, who loves them, who has grace and mercy for them, who wants to bring them to the fullness of life, who wants them to experience their highest and best in life and deliver them? Who tells them that if not for us? But you have to be the compeller. Amen? Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge. These were the last words that Jesus said to us. God authorized and commanded me to commission you to go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three people, then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you, I will be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. You're not going to do this alone. You're not going out as a messenger of your message. You're not going out and, 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 and trying to train them in the Chris Young school of how to do life successfully or the, uh, whatever it is that, that you think uh, brings success. Nobody, no, listen, nobody's life will likely be transformed by anything you and I have to offer. Unless, of course, it's because that we're Christ followers. And he says, go and just teach them how to treat people the way I treat them. Love people like I love them. These are, we think about the commandments of God as robbing us of life, but the commandments of God are life-giving because it's how to extend grace and mercy and fill people with life, not rob them with judgment and condemnation, with further adding to their pain. You don't think people who are doing broken things feel broken? They already feel broken. They don't need the church to come along and break them even further. They need a church full of people who just say, uh, I got to be honest with you, super selfish. I love grace and mercy and forgiveness in my life. So I'm going to heap it upon everybody I meet. I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to love you like Jesus loved me. And I get all of his love back because of that. So I got to tell you, I'm glad that you're benefiting from this, but it's such a benefit for me too. The Bible's full of if-then principles. If you'll do this, then you'll do this. The Bible says, if you tithe, then I'll pour out blessings to you that can't even be contained. I'll open up windows of blessings to you that can't even be contained. God knows that we're selfish. And he plays into it. He goes, you do this. There's a cookie in it for you. And his cookies are so good. Pastor Jamie, don't make this the clip you put online. <laughs> People are gonna be like, what is this dude? And his cookies are so good. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want you to have the opportunity to respond to him today, to what you've been invited through his word to respond, react. Remember, 100 years, we're in that 100-year window. This is all we've got is the words of Jesus. This is all you know. This is all you have to respond to is him. First, if you're not a follower of Christ, isn't it, a wonderful, wonderful invitation that you get to become this, the kind of person that Jesus was to people, a, a healer, 
and a person that would expose the, the compassionate and merciful heart of God that would speak life into people, that would encourage and strengthen people, that would speak against uh, religious cruelty and meanness and division and manipulation that people would, would, would weaponize scripture to beat people down and Jesus exposed them as the frauds that they were. If you want to become a Christ follower, it's not about joining this church. It's not about coming down here and shaking my hand and doing some ceremony. It's literally about saying yes to him right where you're sitting. You say, yeah, I want to start a relationship with him. I, I want to know him. I want to know how he created me and who he created me to be. And that's you. All you have to do is say yes. And I promise it begins the journey. It begins the friendship. I have something for you later. I'll tell you that you can go and get for free from the connection kiosk. But if you'll just say, yes, that's me. I want to, no other shoe's going to drop. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to uncover. Everybody's head's bowed, eyes closed. This is between you and him. Would you just throw your hand up and say, yeah, I want to begin a relationship with Christ. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Let, let's do this. Let's every single person in this room pray this out loud like every single one of us just raised our hands because we're going to stand alongside of every person that did. And let's say this together. Christ Jesus, I believe in you. And I want relationship with you. But I don't know you. Not as well as I want to. And to be like you, I have to know your words. So I commit to this today to become a follower of you by knowing your words, by remembering your words, and by following your words. And that's my prayer. Receive me as I am. Forgive my sins and make me new in you today. Now with everybody's head still bowed, if you just say, I need help being this person, the person you just described, the person of mercy and grace and forgiveness who abandons condemnation and judgment and who walks as a living example of what Jesus was in this, I need help doing that. I can't do that on my own. I, when people wound me, I want to wound back or at least I want to defend and I want to stop them from doing it. I'm never really positioned to bless them in return, but I want to do that because that is an indication of my health and my loyalty and my fidelity in my relationship with Christ. And so I want that to be the proof that I truly am transformed by relationship with him is my love for people. And if that's you and you just say, I need the Holy Spirit's help to become that person, would you just throw your hand up as well? Yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of us. Well, God, we do need you. We can't do this on our own. Holy Spirit, you're a gift to us. You're, you're sort of the unknown God, and it breaks my heart, Holy Spirit, that you walk with us daily. You're in us, and you're here to equip us and and speak wisdom and guide us and, and, and prompt our hearts and convict us when we're wrong. We so often ignore you in our lives, so we call on you. We acknowledge you. We bless our relationship with you and say we need your help because without you, we can't respond Christ-like. We'll respond flesh-like. We'll respond Chris-like and, and Bob-like and John-like and Debbie, like, we're just going to do it our way and we need to do it Christ's way and we can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Help us recall the words of Jesus 
as he says, those that hate you, love them. If you want to be extraordinary, not ordinary people retaliate, extraordinary people love their enemies. And every Christ follower should strive to be extraordinary. Let that be our prayer and our purpose every day, to be extraordinary followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.